0: I think the key thing that I would tell people to do is don't get caught up in the compliance game because security and compliance are often used together, but they really are two separate things, right? People often think that, hey, if I check all these boxes and say I've done all these things and all these controls, I'm secure. That's not true. Compliance should be driven from security. Good security should output good compliance, but good compliance almost never outputs really good security. This is All Quiet on the Second Front
1: podcast where boring conversations around defense tech and national security come to die. Join me, Tyler Sweat, and my Second Front comrades as we dismantle the mundane, cut through the bureaucratic BS to demystify the world of defense tech. But be warned, this is not a typical government podcast. Ready to get weird? This is a Soul Fire production. All right, what's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in for another episode of All Quiet on the Second Front. I am your host, Tyler Sweat, and I'm pretty excited to uh, to bring an insider in today. So we're going to bring uh, one of the smarter minds that I found on security, which pains me to say because he was a Marine, a little biased because he's on the team, but we've got Donnie today. We're going to dive into some of the perils and some of the challenges of really just like understanding security as folks are looking at the federal markets how to think about risk, how to think about investment, and a whole bunch of different corners. So, uh, Donnie, thanks for making some time, brother.
0: Yeah, happy to be here as always, Tyler.
1: Heck yeah. And uh, we'll open with a little bit of, I have the benefit of knowing you. Tell the people sort of who you are, a little bit about your background and kind of what you're working on now, and then uh, then let's dig into it.
0: Yeah, sure. I um, started out, went to Virginia Military Institute, grew up in New Orleans, went to school in Virginia, and then uh, entered the Marine Corps and spent 22 years in in the Marine Corps as as you know, in a non-technical field, uh, running around and gunning in the infantry like you, Tyler, finished out uh, with some work, with some reconnaissance and reserve units. And then near the tail end there, just started looking at like, hey, had some family discussions about whether I was gonna stay in or not. And kind of looked like most, like to to be smart about it, like how many doors can I open? And I kind of realized that everything was kind of going into the cyberspace. So it didn't matter if I was gonna stay in and be a Colonel or General or something like that you need to understand the electromagnetic spectrum. And I'd already seen that, you know, working with our reconnaissance teams and pushing them forward. You had to think very deeply about where you showed up. It wasn't just you paint paint your face and hide. You gotta be hiding in the airwaves as well. And how do you do that? So uh, when I got up to station in Silicon Valley, I started getting involved in with a bunch of different things out here. I became a team mentor for Stanford's Hacking for Defense program, using a lean launch pad to solve DOD and IC problems. Uh, started working with a lot of technology, reconnected with Peter Dixon, the founder of the Second Front. He and I had crossed paths in the Marine Corps before and uh, ended up going down the cybersecurity route to be either the grunt who understood cyber if I stayed in or using that as a off-road into kind of a technology space up here. And uh, so did a master's in cybersecurity, uh, started getting certifications, then I shifted out uh, when I retired, worked for a small P firm that did B2B SaaS turnarounds. So we took uh, companies that were in some cases Uh, VC fallen angels or a tired founder, or just didn't have the right business process to scale. And we kind of took those and turned those around. So, worked in a number of of small startups, uh, both implementation, implementing foundational cybersecurity, but also getting the business practices aligned so that it could actually scale and that product could really expand to the market. And then, um, as my kind of last work with one of those companies, got an acquisition opportunity, decided to step off, rechecked in with Second Front and now I'm the VP of security, kind of uh, doing the same thing for for SecRun, just at a later stage than I was working before. Awesome.
1: So, you know, you talk about sort of being on both sides of the of the table, so to speak, right? Like being more in that like knuckle-dragger kind of generalist spot, and then being on the other side in, in that security expert, that sort of the senior sort of security person. What do you think some of the biggest sort of misconceptions are or misunderstandings from you know, maybe the non-security community as they look in and they think about security?
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things I always like to say is um, I think we get caught up too often in like the big news, like, you know, nation state actor hacks and massive kind of corporations. And we think, and a lot of times they'll come through and talk like solar winds, all the technology in the background that impacted that. And I think we also oftentimes get so focused on the big picture stuff, we lose focus on the foundational pieces. Right. And I think Uh, The thing that I always kind of bring back to as well is cybersecurity is a highly technical field. However, boil it back down and realize like, look, humans build computers, humans use computers. The problem is not the computer. The computer is following the logic, right? That's not to say you don't need to understand how to configure that and things like that. but like, If you focus on the human dynamics there, you're going to get a lot further along. And that's honestly why I think I really enjoyed shifting into cybersecurity from that knuckle dragging kind of Marine Corps stuff is when I was in my grad program, I looked around and I kind of looked at all the all civilians in there. and I was like, you know, you guys sound like you're Marines. And they're like, what do you mean? It's like, because every time someone puts something in front of you, your immediate instinct is, how do I break that? How do I get around that, right? And that mindset is really hard to teach. The technology can teach, but the mindset is really critical.
1: You know, it's interesting. I find it often when we talk about highly technical, either problems or environments, you know, markets, whatever it may be. So much of it comes down to the people. and I think, you know, all of us are guilty of, hey, there's a tool for that or there's a technology for that. How are you finding sort of assessing, right? What are the hardest? You hear people talk about sort of like 10x hires, and the criticality of culture. And so if we take that in on sort of the security angle, you're living through it a little bit right now, right? Yeah. How, how should somebody, so talk to that, that CEO, that CISO on the other side of a table, maybe at a slightly earlier company that's trying to think about how do I go build that team of the right people and instill sort of that right culture? How should they be looking for folks? What What are the attributes, I guess, to your point on some of it that you can't teach?
0: Yeah, no. I think that what you can't teach is kind of like that healthy paranoia and understanding uh, risk. Where, where I really would would advise people when they're looking at bringing the right people into cybersecurity is make sure the people they bring in understand the risk tolerance of the company and how that culture impacts that. Right. And if you're talking about an early startup that maybe doesn't have any cybersecurity expertise, the yeah. first step is like pick somebody and put them in charge. Right. Doesn't have to be a CISO. Doesn't have to be just could be a collateral duty, but someone where I'm going to funnel security questions to you, and I'm going to like block out time so you can do that. Because a lot of startups and small organizations, nonprofits just kind of put the blinders on and be like, I, "We just can't worry about this, right?" And the reality speaking is, is at that level when you first step into the foundational cybersecurity practices like regular training, making sure you have malware protection on your devices, handling passwords securely, using a password manager, putting MFA on everything, like that knocks out 80 to 85 percent of the threats, right? So can you get the foundational things in? Can you bring someone who can take those and then scale with your business? And the reason why I hit the risk tolerance piece is you look at security as kind of a rheostat, right? Like on one side, it's 100% secure and on one side, it's 100% convenient. Like if it's 100% convenient, it is totally insecure and you're at severe risk. If it's totally secure, it's totally unusable, right? And what happens is the closer you get to that totally secure side, if an employee or teammate can't get their job done, they're going to find a way to get the job done, especially if you hire the right people, right? And yeah. then you start spinning out shadow IT and other things yep. and you lose control. So do you understand the risk appetite of the, of the company? And are you comfortable going in saying, here's a vulnerability, here's a concern I've seen, here's the cost and process to remediate, like where are we going to set the dial here? Yeah. Here? Okay, got it. And move on.
1: So I mean, I love the example of the dial. You went you went exactly where I was going to go with sort of that next question, which is great. So, hey, I've built like this lights out sort of security team, right? And it's to your point about it's going to be so secure, it's unusable, or it's going to be so usable, it's it's sort of insecure Null there. Right. my question is, how do you find the best sort of outcomes building constituency sort of across that? And then conversely, how do you make sure you're not building like the technical Maginot line that where you're all excited and you're high fiving yourself because you built this great thing. And then, you know, if anybody doesn't remember, like the Germans just went around it, like took Paris from the back. How are you building sort of community and building security as a cultural attribute? And how are you making sure that maybe somebody outside of security? It's sort of giving that vector check. I'm like, yeah, all right. right, Or how are you checking on it? I guess yeah. would be the two part question. Yeah. There.
0: No, that's a. I'll, I'll hit the people first. I mean, I think one of the pieces you need to understand is like, you need to build allies in the company, uh, right? And so part of it is, is are you evangelizing security within? And, and being that resource, like one of the things I hate is you see companies that like, oh, someone clicks something. I'm going to go punish them now. Like, no, like use that as an educational opportunity, right? And if you do it right, um, you know, you never know. Like a lot of times, when people say, "Like oh, well, how do you know you weren't hacked?" Like you don't know, right? You just don't know. When you look at the really bad ones out there, usually the attackers have been in your system for months on end, doing lateral movement. So, like, how do you know? You don't. you're doing all the best things. But if you are actually like engaging with your teammates, you want them to bring issues up to you. Like my internal temperature dip of whether the security culture is working is when teammates from across the organization are bringing questions to me and my team and saying, "Hey, I just saw this. This doesn't look right," or I started doing this, but you said something in onboarding that maybe I should think about this. Like that's the sign where you can open up and have a conversation and build that piece out. I think that the, the other challenge is when you start like building and scaling that product out, and you start securing it. Again, it goes back to like understanding the risk and thinking about it. And it's great that you brought up Maginot line. I think oftentimes because it's sometimes difficult to conceptually wrap your head around security. We often talk about like a. Um, a defense and you know, like a, we, a castle moat structure, right? There's my moat, there's my firewall, there's Absolutely. my door, it's my authentication. And you got to get past that 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 two-dimensional, essentially, perspective of that and think more of a defense in depth. So when I think it, it's more like when you're setting up in a military defense and for the military folks on the line, like, look, you can put an obstacle. If that obstacle is not observed. It's not an obstacle, right? So are you monitoring or alerting on the things you're sitting out there? Are you setting something out that's two clicks in advance to slow down and alert the attacker. He hits a trip flare, which allows you to see him before he gets in there. And then let's just say, worst case scenario, plan for him to be inside your network. And then think about what are the things you're doing inside the network, whether you're you're setting up like canaries or honey pots to kind of trick him, or like implementing an actual fully zero trust thing where someone has to reauthenticate and you're checking him on everything. So the implementation is not, hey, he's inside, he's inside the walls now. He can have access to everything. Like, no, he's inside the walls every other door in the castle is locked. And every door in the castle is a different key. Continually check and maintain uh, maintain that. But again, if I have to type in a password 27 times a day, like that's totally inconvenient, it starts having a problem. So as you're moving to things like pass keys and biometrics and finding ways, you're actually checking and tracking people on a day-to-day basis and making sure, yes, you are supposed to have access to what you're accessing. Not just, again, imagine a line, moat, lock the front door and cross your fingers and hope for the best.
1: Yeah, I think the building allies uh, is a critical part. And I mean, it also gets at this sort of business unit, that functional outcome of security, which is to build in better behaviors in and around any of those sort of technical solutions or policy solutions we've brought in. You know, I want to spin a little bit and say, hey, so to the teams out there that are maybe new into government or thinking about coming into sort of the public sector space. How should they be thinking about it? it's overwhelming for those of us that yeah. are in the market to look at the policy and the articles and the this coming next and this initiative and this requirement. How should folks think about security and where to get smart and you know what does it mean to sort of meet the needs, meet the security sort of requirements of you know, the broader public sector. And it's a generalized question yeah. to sort of let you take it in a couple of different ways if you want to.
0: Yeah, no, it's it, look, it's, it's incredibly difficult selling to the government. There's just no way around it. And, there, and and that's why when you talk in Silicon Valley and you talk about, everyone will talk all day about dual use technologies. But realistically, when you go in and talk about getting funded and moving forward on that, venture capitalists, P firms are very skeptical about having a product that's solely focused on defense or government, because it's so hard to get into it. Yes, once you get into it, you probably have something that you can stick, it's sticky, it'll stay for a while. But the process of getting into it is really difficult and expensive. And I think one of the challenges with that is you might build this super secure product that you think on that, but the piece that's really critical to government is can you communicate that security to the government? Right. The beauty of the government is everything's written down, right? So you can go in and actually like pull down the NIST 853 and kind of go through the controls and get a sense of that. But you should also, as you start having that conversation with government uh, customers, understand like what, what are they gonna accept and what do they need? for this to be a successful relationship. Because we've seen this already, it doesn't it's not just FedRAMP, you talk about DOD ATOs. Every AO is a little different on what where their risk tolerance is and how do you match that. I think the key thing that I would tell people to do is don't get caught up in the compliance game because security and compliance are often used together, but they really are two separate things, right? People often think that, hey, if I check all these boxes and say I've done all these things and all these controls, I'm secure. That's not true, right? Really, realistically, compliance should be driven from security. Good security should output good compliance, but good compliance almost never outputs really good security. You know. Yeah. So understanding that kind of that that yin yang, that Zen kind of back and forth with those two, yeah. and then being able to nail down like what do I actually need to do, and where do I need to be compliant, and am I smart enough to kind of depict that to the auditors and people I work with in the government? Because again, the NIST is Guidance is very good. However, like it's adapting, right? I mean, all those guidelines were written for like bare metal servers, right? And then they were adapted to the cloud, and now we're in a Kubernetes and container driven architecture where it's still kind of catching up. And some of those controls don't exactly align that. So, being able to read the control and understand and translate how you security in your system is a critical kind of kind of need for for a company that's trying to go that route.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's the a... The leading sort of lagging relationship between regulations and sort of environmental or market realities is that mm-hmm. you just you see on such a main stage in public sector because there, are, you know, years between new initiatives and things like that.
0: Yeah, the same thing with the legal side, right? I think we yeah. were talking beforehand, like all of the um, the legal prosecutions the FBI has brought recently and gone on—they're all tied to the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Of 1986 right so it's yep. a 37 year old document yeah it was updated in the early 2000s but still like we haven't moved forward to where we're like thinking more deeply about how do we write the laws and regulations and how we do it to stay in the pace technology i think the the rule that was tossed to me in grad school was like regulation usually trails seven years behind technology i mean like think about seven years the past seven years of technology or the seven years before that and regulation trying to catch up in that realm right oh, yeah
1: no, and I mean, look, like, and I mean, this probably is uh, as pokey as it sounds, but, and I'll say this is like the biggest advocate of national security ever. Every time I think about effectively regulating cybersecurity, I'm drawn back to that congressional hearing where Congress is trying to understand Facebook and like YouTube. Yeah.
0: Like flipping cards. Yep. Oh my God. Oh, it's like, we're all dead. Like, yeah, I mean, I, all story, like... in the internet. That that hearing occurred while I was in, in a in a a live session of grad school. And we it was actually like in our legal and privacy and compliance course. And they literally stopped the course and just put it on the screen and we watched it with another Ugh. cohort and the whole thing, like all these cyber professionals are just like shaking their head. They're like, Oh my God. Yeah. You know? And it's like, look, this isn't like the poke at Congress, right? But it's just like no. that means we failed at communicating. We failed to like engage and educate. And build it. And that kind of goes back to it. It's like, you can't be someone who just goes in a security and says, shuts the door. No, you you don't understand. We're not letting you You're in. Like, right. how are you evangelizing? How are you engaging? goes back
1: to your point about building allies. It's bigger than just yeah. organizational. We've got to educate the market and educate the regulators on what that looks like.
0: Bingo. And like one of the things you see inside like companies, larger companies, a lot of times they build out BSOs or business information security officers, right? That are set in those different business units, they find someone who understands security and likes it, gives them an additional role, and that becomes the conduit for security to engage, enable, and support, facilitate that business unit. Like, we need to think how do we do that outside of the standard, like lobbying and congressional action pieces? How do we find a way to basically walk in from the industry and help educate legislatures and regulators so that they have the information they need to properly write it? Because, like, look, we need regulation, we need lo- uh, legal parameters on this stuff. Yep. We just need to meet good ones, right? And that some of that responsibility is on us. Yeah,
1: I, uh, all right, so two questions, two questions to wrap us up, and this could, I could do this with you all day. This is one of those I think, topic errors, not discussed enough. All right, so what's one thing that folks should be worried about right now? You know, everyone out there listening, you've got a mix of Gov, you've got ISVs, you've got security folks, non-security folks, or what's the thing maybe, maybe not worry about is a strong word, aware of tracking, sort of keeping their eye on. What's one thing there? And I know I didn't prep you with this question, so.
0: No, that's fine, yeah. Look, I mean, I, there's, a, there's a thousand things for it. I think what I would recommend people do is, is two things. Like one, just do the foundations right, first of all. I mean, if you are using a password manager, if you if you need passwords, or you're moving to pass keys in a passwordless environment, if you've set multi-factor authentication on, on everything, give your people hard tokens, Things like that to basically like lock things down and make it really difficult for people to get in, right? Not you, but outsiders, right? So they
1: should do the opposite of what I do, which is just
0: click every link that comes in and just see where (laughs) it goes. Don't click links. Don't click links, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like do the basics right, and that's going to take care of things. The second thing is like just pay attention to the news, right? I mean, like if you have set up people who are going to listen and pay attention, you can subscribe to like cyber podcasts. Um, There's several out there. I mean, if you follow the right people, even on, on Twitter or X or things like that, just so that like you have some type of open source intelligence coming in, you know, like Okta is in the news right now, right? And not going into the details of, of those hacks, but like, hey, if you're a company that use Okta and you see that in the news, like, are you assessing, like, are we at risk here? Was our information compromised? If it was, what do we do next? Yep. You want to be able to follow those things and actually have those conversations and kind of frame out how those conversations should be guided from an incident standpoint, yep. right? so that you're not caught flat-footed. Good.
1: I like that a lot, actually. Sort of having a sensing, but also an interpreting and sharing function. Um, yeah. All right, cool, last question, structured one. You're king for a day. You get to wave your your magic wand, which for you, the Marine Corps, right? It's a big old Crayola. So you wave <laughs> the crayon. Burnt sienna. Yeah, you get to change one thing. And like it sticks, it works, right? Like no caveats needed. What's the thing
0: you change and why? I'm going to go, like, again, on the on the topic of this in, in the cybersecurity world, and specifically at a second front, right? The thing I would change is how we are doing, like, ATOs, right? And how we are going about that process. And you see the new CATO process coming out. We're trying to get there. But get to the point where we have a common viewpoint, a common pane of glass on what that compliance very security looks like in a way that there's reciprocity across the DoD and government enterprise, right? You can't have a private sector. If you want the DOD to be using cutting edge software and you want the government to be using cutting edge software because you believe in the national security requirements, you can't go in and say, oh, I've got to do these five things for this person. But if I sell this other agency in the same government, I've got to do these other seven or eight things. Like if that's standardized and there's reciprocity and it's not done to the thing, like let's just ramp it up to 11 on security, but have an actual dialogue like this is how we're going to approach security and compliance to ensure that the companies that are handling government data are secure and reporting and engaging. And we have a pane of glass where my incident response and my SOC, right, can share that information with the authorizing officials in a way that they can have comfort that we're doing the right things on our side. Like that piece, solving that, I think does a lot of things, right? It makes the world a safer place. It gets our cutting edge software to the warfighters, And it's not going around things. It's being honest and straightforward with the government.
1: Yeah, changing that relationship between sort of, you know security and software and national security and all of that in a way that in a way that just removes friction for everybody right Absolutely. without compromising security or speed i love that donning as always my brother thank you for taking a little bit of time and uh dropping some knowledge on us today i think this will create a bunch of follow-on conversations that i'm excited to have and hopefully a uh a little streak in the show focused a little bit more on security everybody thanks for tuning in and uh we'll talk to you guys soon cheers Later. Thanks for listening. Wouldn't be a podcast without some show notes. So check them out to learn more about second front and what we're up to. Stay weird.